us off today, we have a very familiar guest with a key, keynote session hosted by David Garofalo, President and CEO of Gold Royalty. David, thank you for joining us today. I will hand the reins to you, Mr. Garofalo. How are you? Sorry, just a bit of a video glitch there, but thank you very much for welcoming Mark. And uh, I'm delighted to be here and, and allowing me to riff a little bit on the metals market on Gold Royalty. Um, and, and thank you everyone for attending today. Um, and I think we're at an interesting point in the cycle. Um, in that um, I feel like we're uh, repeating where we were 10 years ago, coming out of the credit crisis, where we had the, uh, the advantages of the Chinese super cycle and base metals were doing extremely well. Uh, gold uh, was, was leading the charge as well. It was up about 140% coming out of the credit crisis. And that was le led by what, what as a at the time was an unprecedented, unprecedented monetary expansion. And we saw uh, an unprecedented amount of investment in new mine capacity. And uh, so it was a very interesting point in time in the cycle. And uh, I have to say, though, that at that point, the mining equities didn't do terribly well because we saw massive input cost inflation. And we saw that lever leverage proposition that investors expected out of mining equities really undermined by uh, squeezing margins just as metal prices were starting to gallop up to, to new highs at the time. And, you know, we're, we're basically back at that point in the cycle where we're seeing um, gold start to show some signs of life, given, again, unprecedented monetary expansion. We're seeing base metal prices at all time highs. The difference, of course, with base metals is while it was driven, driven by the Chinese super cycle 10 years ago, what we're seeing is economic expansion driven by decarbonization. Copper's reached all-time highs because of its importance in decarbonizing the economy. Gold will, I think, achieve new highs again because of the inflationary cycle that we see ourselves in, monetary expansion. And gold has always been a very accurate barometer of that. And so I, I think we're going to see new highs in metal prices again. And I think the question will be how you play uh, the metals to get optimum leverage to increasing metal prices. And my argument is that uh, at this point in my career where I'm positioning myself as running a, a royalty company is I think royalty companies is where you want to be because we will see input cost inflation because of the significant underinvestment that we've seen in the mining space over the last several years. There's going to have to be a catch up in investment in both base and precious metals. That'll drive input costs up quite dramatically. And now, Unlike 10 years ago, we have the backdrop of inflation in the general economy. And so I, I expect that that'll drive inflation um, in the mining sector to levels that we didn't see 10 years ago, even beyond that. And that I think will undermine mining equity performance. And so I think royalties provide that optimum leverage and provide leverage to the metal prices while insulating shareholders from input cost inflation entirely. And that's why, uh, you know, less than a year ago, I launched Gold Royalty along with a couple of my partners, who, whom I'll, I'll talk about a little later on in the presentation, and rapidly went about consolidating what was a fragmented space. Um, we launched an IPO back in March of this year. Uh, we raised $90 million US. We achieved a post-money valuation of $200 million and then used the currency that we enjoyed on that IPO to start to consolidate some of our peer companies. Uh, first, we bought Ely Gold and not only brought in a significant number of royalties within their portfolio to complement the royalties that we already had, but also brought in some of the intellectual capital that came with Ely, including the two co-founders, Trey Wasser, who joined our board, and Jerry Boffman, 
who runs our business in Nevada now, generating new royalty opportunities for us as he stakes exploration claims. And then we announced the three-way merger with Abitibi and Golden Valley, getting the cornerstone Canadian Malartic mine within our royalty portfolio. The largest producing gold mine in Canada, uh, producing over 700,000 ounces here, uh, operated by Agnico Eagle and Yamana, two accomplished operators, very experienced in operating the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, where Canadian Malartic is, is located. And what we like to call Canadian Malartic is our gold strike. Uh, as gold strike is to Franco, Nevada, Canadian Malartic represents that flagship cornerstone asset that will provide an annuity for our shareholders for decades to come. And beyond that, we have 190 royalties across the Americas, quite heavily concentrated in the two best mining jurisdictions in the world, Nevada and Quebec. And we have six producing assets currently, seven in construction, and a significant upward trajectory in our cash flow over the next three to five years as a result of that uh, diversified and deep portfolio across the Americas with premier operating uh, uh, partners, again, concentrated in the two best jurisdictions in the world to operate Nevada and Quebec. And we've exited those transactions with a very strong balance sheet, just under $50 million in cash, no debt and an undrawn credit line of $25 million that we just arranged with the Bank of Montreal. So we have plenty of firepower to continue to perpetuate our business, add further to what's already a very deep portfolio of royalties, and continue to grow value per share for our shareholders. And we're doing that and been able to do that with, uh, with such uh, speed because we have a deep and experienced management team and board collectively over 400 years of operating and mind building experience within our board. And I think that's a key distinguishing feature, not in, only in terms of the longevity of the experience of our board management, but also because they've come from an operating and mind development background, which is unique within the royalty space. We've all been operators and developers. I've spent over 30 years of my career operating um, and developing minds within bulge bracket companies. And that's true for much of my board and management. And that gives us a unique perspective on the royalty space and that we understand how operators think because we've been operators, we've been mind builders, but also gives us unprecedented access as we look to perpetuate uh, what's already a very impressive portfolio of royalties, uh, in, you know, in, in various stages of development through to production within the gold space. And what we've been able to demonstrate by consolidating some of our peer companies and cheating scale very quickly, essentially quadrupling our size since our IPO, is that we've been able to achieve a re-rate for our shareholders through the uh, through achieving that scale, uh, through getting bigger quicker, driving down our cost of capital, driving up our multiple, so we can be an effective royalty operator. Because at the end of the day, a royalty company is a source of capital for the developers and producers. And it, to be an effective source of capital, to be a financial institution, if you will, focused specifically on mining, you have to have a low cost of capital in order to provide them access to capital they otherwise couldn't access through the equity markets where valuations are quite depressed for mining companies. And this is just a, a graphical representation of what I was alluding to during my introduction. Uh, what it shows you is how the producers and the royalty companies have performed at various points in the cycle, um, in the gold cycle. And if you look at where we were 10 years ago, uh, when we were last through uh, uh, an inflationary cycle of input costs, we saw the gold price perform quite well as we came out of the credit crisis, again, because of that monetary expansion in the top left-hand chart, 
we saw the gold price go up about 138%. Unfortunately, we saw mining equities, gold equities specifically, significantly underperform the commodity. Uh, they were up only about 66%. And again, that's because they were all experiencing significant input cost inflation, both on the base and precious metal side, because they were all competing to develop new mines. And there's only a finite amount of capacity in terms of labor, equipment, um, inputs, and that drove up costs dramatically and really undermined the leverage proposition that investors were looking for in gold equities. The royalty companies, you can see, provided that leverage proposition. They outperformed the commodity in multiples, up over uh, 350%. And again, that was because the royalty companies provided that top line exposure, leverage to the gold price, leverage to the expiration success of their operators, but completely insulated their shareholders uh, from input cost inflation. But even as we experienced a nuclear winter in metal prices for the ensuing half a dozen years or so, and we saw not only the commodities perform negatively and the mining equities perform even further in negative territory, the royalty and streaming companies actually outperformed on a relative basis. Yes, they were down, but they still performed, outperformed at every point in the cycle. And then as we saw rising gold prices uh, and we saw rising profitability in the mining sector, yes, the mining equities outperformed the commodity as we came out of that nuclear winter. But again, the royalty companies still significantly outperformed both the commodity and the mining equities. So yes, the mining equities did provide leverage in a stable cost environment with rising metal prices but they still underperform the royalty companies. So again, we're, I think we're back to where we were 10 years ago. I think we're going to sort of repeat of that. I think the gold price is going to do extremely well. I still believe in gold as an asset class. I think we're going to achieve all-time highs of $3,000 an ounce on a real basis. That's where we were back in the early 1980s on an inflation-adjusted basis as we experienced the last major inflationary cycle. Uh, but I, I do think that mining equities are going to struggle and have been struggling over the last year in anticipation of this input cost inflation. And the royalty companies are where you want to be to participate in that upside in the gold price and the upside in the expiration success. We expect that the underlying operators will achieve as they start to redeploy capital, both in expiration and mine development over the next coming years to replace a depleting reserve profile that they've experienced over the last half a dozen years when we've seen gold reserves go down about 40%. Now, I alluded to the re-rate a little earlier on, and what this demonstrates, <clears throat> excuse me, is what happened uh, to our stock after we completed the three-way merger with Abbott Tibby and Golden Valley. And our thesis going into that transaction, for that matter, into the Ely transaction, is by achieving scale through M&A, we would get a re-rate in the marketplace. We'd get a lower cost of capital, a stronger multiple. And if you look at our market caps prior to the announcement of the three-way merger back in early September, uh, we had a market cap of about $333 million U.S. Uh, Abitibi was a little over $200 million. On a combined basis, uh, this, the simple arithmetic would have told you that we'd be around $544 million market cap on a combined basis. But in fact, the market received uh, this combination quite warmly. And in a flat market, uh, we saw our stock go up about 23% as a result of putting these, these companies together and achieving that scale, that critical mass, diversity of our portfolio. That's the re-rate we were talking about and the thesis that we laid out to the market when we announced this transaction, and we've actually been able to realize that for our shareholders. We call that the double bump. Uh, we provided the shareholders of Abitibi and Golden Valley an immediate premium 
Uh, we paid a, a 35% plus premium to their shareholders in order to entice them to do the merger. But we also said together, uh, we were much stronger than apart. One plus one equals three. And uh, we both benefited from that re-rate, that second bump. Our shareholders benefited from it. Their shareholders did. They got a double bump. And really, that was the thesis behind doing that transaction. Similarly, earlier in the year, when we did the transaction with Ely, we achieved a similar re-rate of our stock as a result of, again, combining our companies and creating critical mass, getting bigger, becoming more relevant. Essentially, achieving a size is difficult for indices and institutional investors to enjoy, but we're certainly small enough to grow meaningfully within what's still a fragmented sector. So this is what our portfolio looks like on a combined basis. And you, you can see it provides good geographical balance within the Americas, but exclusively in the Americas for now with 191 royalties at virtually every stage of production uh, and development and exploration. So we have early stage exploration royalty opportunities, many of them generated internally by our team in Nevada and Quebec. And I'll talk about them a little bit more later, a little bit later, excuse me, in the presentation. And then we have six producing assets and seven in construction. So we have a nice upward trajectory in our cash flow in the next three to five years, but a very good balance in our portfolio, given the various assets and royalties we have at every stage of exploration through to development and ultimately production. And as you can see, we have uh, the majority of our royalties in the two best jurisdictions in the world, Nevada and Quebec. And I'm not saying that uh, subjectively, the Fraser Institute, which provides an annual survey of the best jurisdictions of the world, measured on the basis of mineral potential, regulatory risk and political risk, rate Nevada and Quebec perennially uh, number one and two. And they tend to jockey for position between the two, but they're always at the top of the list because of the ease of permitting, uh, the low political risk, and again, the prolific geological district that we find ourselves in uh, with a significant number of royalties. Canadian Malartica, as I said, is our cornerstone foundational asset. Yeah. It will provide with um, five to seven million ounces of currently delineated resource, decades of cash flow for our shareholders. And that cash flow will only be amplified as we transition from open pit mining here to underground, where Canadian Malartic and, and the two operators, Igniqua Eagle and Yamana, are currently investing $1.6 billion in the construction of an underground mine. The shaft has been erected, uh, sorry, the head frame has been erected, the shaft is being sunk, and they're already undertaking underground development. And that underground development will serve two purposes. One is it will give a platform from which to produce half a million ounces of production from underground uh, starting in 2027. But also as they open up this deposit for production, it will give them underground drill setups to drill out and delineate these deposits at depth. And the one thing I know about having operated in the Abbey Tibby Greenstone built since the 1990s um, is that these deposits tend to grow and balloon geologically and blossom once you have that underground drill access, there's a limit to what you can do from surface drilling. These deposits uh, go deep. Uh, they, they grow as they go deep. The grades go up higher. And those underground drill setups, I'm confident, will delineate a much larger resource than what's, than what's currently defined. And what's, what's really important for gold royalty is they transition underground. We transition to higher uh, NSR territory, higher royalty territory right now. Many of our royalties are in kind of the 1% to 2% range in the open pit. But if you look at the top center block, 
within this map where you see a 3% NSR. That was where Odyssey is currently being constructed. That's the underground mine that Ignico, Eagle, and Yamana are investing $1.6 billion in. And as they transition to that 3% territory, we'll see a pronounced increase in our cash flows from this mine. We're already enjoying robust cash flows from the open pit, but this will be further amplified as they get into 3% NSR territory. And again, uh, as they get this underground drill set up, uh, we expect to see a significant increase in resource as they improve the access to drill the deposit out of depth. Not unlike what was experienced 30 kilometers down the highway at Ignico Eagle's flagship mine, Laurent. Uh, I was at Ignico Eagle for 12 years, from 1998 to 2010 as their CFO. I was there during the construction of Laurent, Lapa, and Goldex, the three other mines, all again within a 30-kilometer radius of the Canadian Malaric mine. And as they drilled Laurento from depth, it ballooned from a small localized zinc deposit to the largest gold-bearing volcanogenic massive sulfide deposit ever discovered, with north of 10 million ounces of gold mined and to be mined from that deposit. It's those underground drill setups that are vital uh, to delineating what's uh, what's uh, you know, what's in a prolific Abitibi Greenstone Belt. Those those access points from underground are very, very important to delineate uh, the potential uh, gold resource at depth. And I talked about Canadian Mark being our gold strike. Um, as gold strike is to Franklin, Nevada and represented a foundational asset for them, Canadian Mark is that, that gold strike for us. But ironically, we actually have a royalty on the underground extension of gold strike, REN, uh, which Barrick has been talking about um, for, for a number of quarters in their quarterly results because of uh, the uh, the intention to publish an initial resource here later this quarter, uh, which we think has multi-million ounce potential and will be an important part of the Gold Strike mine plan in the medium term as they start to integrate that into the mine plan as they complete delineation drilling. So this represents a significant source of cash flow growth beyond the next five years. Um, and uh, you'll start to see more news from this from Barrick as they report the, their inaugural resource in the fourth quarter of this year. Another project in Quebec uh, that we're quite excited about is Fenelon, which is owned by Walbridge Mining. Walbridge just published a little over a month and a half ago their initial resource on Fenelon, approaching 4 million ounces of one and a half, two gram a ton material a very substantial inaugural resource. They're still drilling it out. They had a 300,000 meter drill program this year, a 75,000 meter uh, ramping program to get underground access to drill the deposit out at depth. And again, uh, a recurring theme, access is extremely important to really delineate what you have in these underground deposits. It is open pitable initially, but has underground potential. With this substantial resource, we expect this to be a large economic deposit that will generate cash flow for many, many years to come. And again, represents another dimension of growth beyond the next three to five years where we already have pronounced growth from the existing um, portfolio of producing assets and assets in construction. So this is a catalyst rich story. Um, we, we just talked about the uh, initial resource of Fenelon that Walbridge published. Um, and we expect that Nevada Gold Mines, the joint venture between Barrick and Newmont will uh, announce the initial resource estimate at REN a little later this year. Uh, that'll be a positive catalyst for our story. Isabella Pearl, one of our producing royalties, is undertaking an expansion expansion of its heap leach operation, which should kick in uh, incrementally new cash flow uh, in the first quarter of next year. 
and we invested in a package of royalties owned by uh, owned by uh, uh, on the Bull Four Mine, owned by Monarch Mines a little earlier uh, this year, which will represent uh, cash flow growth next year as those mines are restarted in the second quarter of 2022. So you can see, over the course of the next three three years, we're going to see essentially a tripling of our cash flow. If you go beyond that to the five-year horizon, we actually expect to see our cash flow grow fivefold. And beyond that, then we'll start to see some large-scale new deposits like Odyssey, uh, the underground portion of Canadian Malartic kick in. Uh, we'll start to see REN kick in, Fenelon start to contribute cash flow as well. Uh, those we think will contribute to an exponential growth in our cash flow beyond the five-year horizon. It's another dimension of growth. And so I do think that we have the fastest growing cash flow profile within the royalty space. And, and I think in time, as we achieve that critical mass through the M&A that we've been able to achieve this year, we expect to see a significant growth multiple afforded our stock as we start to deliver on some of that cash flow growth over the coming uh, three to five years and beyond. I talked a little bit earlier on about our organic growth profile. and. That's driven by a royalty generator model that I think is quite unique in the sector. And that's come from the acquisition of not only uh, additional royalties through the acquisition of Ely, Golden Valley, and Abitibi, but the intellectual capital that comes with the acquisition of those companies, namely the founders. Um, at Ely Gold, uh, Jerry Boffman is a prolific prospector in Nevada, uh, has been for many, many decades, and generated over 100 royalties for Ely through its 10-year existence by simply staking exploration claims in Nevada, farming out those properties to established explorers and producers who wanted to invest capital in the ground because these were uh, prospective uh, land positions or were contiguous to existing operations or existing exploration plays. And we took royalties back uh, and Jerry took royalties back on each of those properties as he farmed them out. So we don't spend any money on exploration. This is a very cost-effective way to generate royalties we don't take any of the exploration or construction risk. We're pure royalty operators. But given the the, uh, the experience that Jerry brings to the table and prospecting, successfully prospecting, uh, what it does is gives us a very cost-effective entry into royalty opportunities at an early stage. And before any serious money is spent, uh, we take a royalty back. Very similar uh, model in Quebec and Ontario, driven by Glenn Mullen, uh, who's the founder of Abitibi and Golden Valley. In fact, was the prospector that staked the original exploration claims on uh, Canadian Malartic, which he then vended into a Cisco, which was then merged with Ignico Eagle and Yamana uh, a number of years ago. So he has a tremendous track record of having generated scores and scores of royalties, doing exactly what Jerry's doing in Nevada, but applying the same methodology to our business in Quebec and Ontario. And Glenn's joined our board and is running our business in Quebec and Ontario in much the same way that Jerry's running it in Nevada. And finally, we made a small investment in a private company called Prospector Royalty Corp, led by Tim Young. Tim Young himself is also uh, a, a prolific prospector, having assembled the Barkerville package, which he vended into Cisco, uh, Cisco not too long ago, um, and Cisco Royalties. And what he's done is digitized uh, terabytes of expiration information within a, a database, uh, and royalty information is using that to mine for uh, for royalty opportunities um, in, in um, the mining space uh, for us in, in, uh, throughout the rest of Canada. Um, this uh, very briefly about our, our uh, operating partners. Uh, uh, we enjoy uh, a diversified 
portfolio of operating partners uh, within the Americas who have very strong ESG practices. And I should say that ESG is a key gating criteria to any royalty opportunity that we invest in. Um, and uh, you can see that we have uh, operating uh, portfolio of operating partners that are second to none in that regard. And I can say that in more than half a dozen cases, we've passed on royalty opportunities where we didn't feel the ESG practices were up to our standards. And so that will always be a key criteria for us as we look to uh, generate new royalty opportunities. This is just a bird's eye view of our overall portfolio. It, it provides you uh, 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 an overview of the commodity mix. You can see we're decidedly focused on gold and decidedly focused on the Americas with a majority of the underlying value of our business uh, within Quebec and Nevada and a good balance in our portfolio across uh, resource stage through to production and construction, uh, giving us uh, a very good platform from which we expect to grow cash flow quite meaningfully over the coming uh, years uh, in, in medium to, to long term, given how, how much organic growth that we have within uh, the existing portfolio of, of royalties. Um, you can see how quickly we've risen to prominence in the small cap space in the royalty sector. Uh, we've become the largest among the small cap players, sub $1 billion. Uh, we've both in terms of our market cap or trading liquidity. If you actually look at our trading liquidity, this is since our IPO, but since we completed the acquisition of Ely back in August, we've actually seen our, our liquidity uh, double from what you're seeing in this chart. We are by far the most liquid stock within uh, the small cap space. We certainly have the largest royalty and most diversified royalty portfolio and the strongest balance sheet. So we're in an excellent position to track that growth multiple. We certainly have the capital to continue to grow. And I think this will be an exciting story for, for many, many years to come. And what's driven that is the again the intellectual capital we have within our board and management. Uh, many of them have been in the space for for decades, uh, from a mine operating and mine development uh, perspective. Uh, good geological expertise on the board with Ged Mullen as well and Garnet Dawson, and again mine building expertise within the board. Uh, you know, within myself, Alan Hare, who is forty years as a mineral processing engineer, a prolific mine builder in his own right. Again, that gives us that unique perspective, that understanding of how operators uh, think, but also gives us a clear eye view of the underlying risk of the royal royalty opportunities we're investing in. Um, and also gives us that access, given the seniority of this group, to virtually any opportunity we want to look at in the space on a bilateral basis, rather than trying to compete in auction processes, which tend to drive up prices and drive down returns for our shareholders. We allocate capital expecting to get double-digit rates of return. And this represents the opportunity. This is where we think we can grow meaningfully. Uh, the value of our, our, our company on a per share basis is by attracting that growth multiple. As I said, we have the fastest growing cash flow profile in the sector. We have the biggest royalty portfolio among our peers. We have the best liquidity. Uh, we have uh, also uh, the most diversified royalty portfolio with the most organic growth beyond the next three to five years. We think that allows to close the gap between the bulge bracket companies, uh, Franklin, Nevada, Wheaton, and Royal, which typically trade at two to three times NAV. The rest of us are clustered around one times NAV. As we start to deliver on that growth, we expect to capture more of that growth multiple and start to close the gap, which is quite meaningful between the smaller players and the large cap players within the space. That's the opportunity set we see by achieving that critical mass, which we've been able to do through MA and start to deliver on some of that organic growth that I was talking about a little earlier on in my presentation. Uh, 
And with that, I'd like to thank you for your kind attention and, and welcome any questions that you might have. David, thank you for that. Uh, a terrific tour through uh, the thought process. Uh, a great way to start our third day here at the Vid5 conference. I appreciate your time. And of course, the uh, the question column has been quite populated because I know people are very interested in your perspective throughout the, the concept that we're sharing here today. I'm going to start off with Jacques, who asks, uh, David, post the successful acquisition of Ely, Abitibi, and Golden Valley, is Gold Royalty still looking to further consolidate? And what criteria is management and the board focusing on? Well, there's certainly scope for consolidation, and I won't pretend for a moment that we will have a monopoly on it. I think we've started a game of musical chairs. The music is playing, the chairs are diminishing. And I do think that um, uh, you know other royalty companies are seeing the success that we're achieving through consolidation, the critical mass we've been able to achieve, the re-rate we've been able to achieve by doing that. And I expect there's going to be more consolidation. There's too many players in the space right now. Mm -hmm. And many of them, as you saw in my earlier chart, are just too illiquid. Uh, mm -hmm. They're... Uh, you know, they're really dead in the water. It's very difficult for them to raise capital. If they can't raise capital, they can't grow. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're in a bit of a vicious cycle. And so I do think there'll be consolidation. We'll be extremely disciplined about doing any consolidation. We've achieved quite a bit of critical mass. We have a lot of organic growth already embedded in our story. We don't have to do M&A, mm -hmm. but we will be opportunistic. If we see an opportunity to create value per share for our shareholders, as we've clearly done, through the acquisition of Ely, Golden Valley, and Abitibi, then we'll look at it. But we have a lot on our plate within our existing portfolio. And I have to say that Jerry and and uh, and Glenn are mm -hmm. prolific generators of royalties. We have a lot of organic growth and many more royalties to add to the portfolios that continue to do the prospecting they've done so successfully over decades. Great. Thank you for that, David. Yeah.